0: The best thing I could do was to kill myself and my family, would be better.
1: What is financial sobriety? Welcome back to Financial Sobriety. We've been talking with David Woods-Bartley, and we're going to bring you the second half of the conversation starting right now.
0: People will ask me at the end of a talk and say, okay, on your tough days, what do you do? And I said, the single most important thing that I, I do, the first thing is i got to go make connection. And I teach three primary methods. It's, I took French for five years, Mrs. Schnippen. I like no five words. and
2: Omelette du fromage. Uh, oui. Suivez moi. <laughs> Bonjour. Nice. The family episode just went out the window. All I said was follow
1: me, I think.
2: So
0: the, the French word for road or path is rue, R-U-E. So for me, it's recognition, understanding, and expression. The first thing, if we want to connect with someone, so these souls that were fortunate enough for you to connect with them, you have to recognize them. Yes. Like, And if you look at the definition, it is that a thing or someone is worthy of consideration. Like, you matter to me. Well, how do you recognize somebody if you don't know them? And it's, see, I, I'm a freak about names. If everybody became a master in the art of remembering people's names, the ripple of that in and of itself would be life-changing.
2: Oh, because we've yeah. all
0: had the experience where somebody remembers our name and we I'm, had no expectation.
2: I'm thinking of an acquaintance who I knew 20 years ago, and I probably haven't seen him in 15. My son was playing in a golf tournament, and he happened to be – the starter for this big tournament that he was in. He's now the president of the local PGA chapter of America. And as I'm driving up in the cart, Len looks right at me and he goes, Jim Gebhardt, how the hell are you? 15 years later. It blows my mind how people do that. And how did it make you feel? Like I'm a rock star. Right.
1: Right. Right? First episode of Ted Lasso. Nathan, the little equipment guy. You you, remembered you my remember you remember my name right? I mean that that's the whole essence of Ted Lasso. Yes, that he, he he remembered his name. Yes, exactly. it totally changed his entire outlook on life and and his confidence. And well, you'll have to watch the rest of the first season of Ted Lasso to find out what happens. But it's a good story. Well, and it gives all people, because he remembered his name.
0: Right, and it gives people what I call an experience of matter. Like I matter, and so people say, okay, well I suck at names. No, you don't. You just don't know how. So I it's teach. It's a them. muscle. It is. Thank you. Just like you're no, say, say, no, no more. say no more. Say no more. Right. Say no more. So I teach this method, and the best part of it is, you meet somebody and they say, "Hi, my name is Jim," and I'll say, "What's the story behind your name?" Now, the vast majority of us have a story. There's a reason mom and dad came up with a name. So, do you have a story?
1: I was going to be Todd. <laughs> I was going to be Michael.
2: There you go. My parents came up with Todd. My oldest brother Scott. You said, look like a Todd. Said no, no. No, James.
0: Which, I have a brother, Jim, so...
2: And I actually, I think what he said was Jamie. And they're like, okay, but what's the more formal version of that? And it was James. So I am James Christopher. I was Jamie until I went to high school. Okay. I made a declaration at that age, at six, six feet tall and 200 pounds, that I was no longer Jamie. And I still have high school friends who... If I bumped into them at, at Wegmans, Ooh. they would go, Jamie Gebhardt, how the hell are you, right? So there you go. There's it, my name story.
0: And see, and it's just, it's
2: a technique, yep. but it's fun. So then you become good at that, and then you remember
0: people's, their spouse's names, and then you remember their kids' names, and then you remember their dog's name. So I had an experience recently where a wonderful personal trainer, not my own, who at the gym, his name is Aaron. I see him all. All the time. And there was one day I just said, Hey brother, how are you doing? He said, hey, You know what? It's kinda of tough. My dog is having some health challenges and so we took him into the vet. And so at the end of it I said, Well, what's your pup's name? And he says, Lucky. So I go <laughs> away and right he said, Hey, can I say something? I'm like, Yeah And he said, Thank you for asking his name. So a couple of days ago later and I said, How's Lucky? And you could just see you know, and it's not me. It's not like, hey, you're some great guy, because in that moment, to back to your point, mm-hmm. I feel connected. Yeah, I hope he does, but I feel good because it's impossible in this moment. Now I was having a good day. It the day's been better because I get to be with the three of you, and and then that lingers.
1: Well, the, you're you're mixing you're mixing selfish with selfless. Thank you. are you're, you're putting you're putting two opposites onto the same coin. We're, we're literally with one you get the other. By, by having a little bit of selfish helping myself, because we're all dealing with more than we've ever dealt with, and especially if you're somebody who lives in the grip of the monster at times, one of the best ways to be selfish and taking care of yourself, as you're, ex- you're expressing, you're sharing with us, is this selflessness of just connecting with someone else. Some of the best medicine— I've ever had, I've ever experienced when I'm in my lowest points in life is simply getting into somebody else's heart and just being present for them.
2: Exactly. And you're, you're sharing with us such, while on the surface, they may be simple examples in the context of what you're doing, they're powerful examples in terms of the connection it, and, and ultimately then the lasting impact.
0: People say, okay, well, why do people kill themselves? And there's a whole, I mean, no answer is the same. I I, I could give you mine, which I had gotten to that place of hopelessness. On August 31st, 2011, which was the day that I was going to jump off the 730-foot-tall Forest Hill Bridge, I felt that the monster convinced me that I was worthless and useless and ugly and pitiful and stupid and grotesque and embarrassment and a burden. And, to your point, that I believed that the best thing I could do was to kill myself and my family would be better, just like the story, brother, that you share on that fateful day Mm -hmm. to to swerve into a truck. Yep. So what I say to people is, suicide is not about fact and logic and data, it's about belief. There's a quote from the great chef David Chang who says, when you're depressed, you become convinced that everything you think is true. So when I train police officers, I say, when you come up to a soul like me, because they're gonna be the ones most likely to, to respond to my crisis, take reason off like you would a jacket. But don't think that that person's lost their mind or out of their mind because it's just the opposite. Right. They are very much in their mind. So what you can do by way primarily of curiosity to get to the place of understanding is to help untangle and unpack those beliefs, not to make them wrong, never to say you shouldn't feel this way, but say, help me understand what it's like. First question out of the first responder who ultimately saved me. He's sitting down, looking up at me, standing on a dark spot on a tall, tall bridge, leaning over. It all all it would have taken is one shift in my body weight. This extraordinary man looking at me and saying, David, what does it feel like to be depressed? And curiosity, to your point, slows the speed of thought. Like the key to keeping people safe is to slow things down. And then he said, David, how long have you lived with this circumstance? And for me it was most all my life. It was the confluence of the genetic predisposition mm-hmm. from my grandfather who had killed himself, my father who in turn suffered for most all of his short life until he died of cancer, with the trauma of losing my father when I was seven and the horror of being sodomized and raped by a Boy Scout leader when I was 11. So here I am Oof, in that situation, wow. and here's this man. What does it feel like? How long have you lived it? And and the most audacious, beautiful question was— What's it like on your worst days? And he just listened. He gave me support, not advice. Never said, well. And there's a great quote from Rachel Naomi Remen, who wrote the fantastic book Kitchen Table Wisdom. And the quote about listening is, our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts in another person. And then he pivoted me on what I say, a half a mustard seed, not of faith, but of hope. Because you only need just need listening. And he said, what's it like on your best days?
1: What's said, it like on your best days? Best
0: days. And then he said, what do you want the rest of your life to be like? And there was enough contrast to what the monster had me believe that at that point I had been looking down on the North Fork of the American River. At that point I looked up and it was like I had been to the bridge before because I had been plagued by suicidal ideations. But it's like I had, this was the first time I had seen the view. And I, I pushed back. And then turned to my left and we retraced my steps. And here's the exclamation point to the experience. Middle-aged man to middle-aged man. He didn't say, yo, brother, way not to wimp out. This man looked at me <laughs> and he said, thank you for telling me how you feel. That's, it's it. It is this unpacking and creating the safe space for someone to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And it's by way of connection.
2: And thank you, brother, for telling your story. Oh, well, thank you. And it- because there is an awful lot there. And for you to have the courage on that day to follow, let's if I may, your guardian angel. Mhm. And then the path that you've been on since then to as we like to very affectionately refer to the fairy dust that we all have, right? <laughs> to share your fairy dust of hope with others in the face of hopelessness. And I think there's a lot of people that, listen, I'm getting emotional, who have faced hopelessness, myself included, and they don't know what to do. So for you to share how you use hope is incredible. Thank you.
0: And, you know, there are people who unfortunately have had the experience of being ostracized and pushed away by people in their one degree of separation Mm -hmm. when they encountered this, I've never had that. My experience in the psych ward at the great Kirby Hills here in Roseville was unbelievable. And it started with the EMT in the back of the ambulance when we made the short drive from Sutter Roseville where the psych ward was. And this man picked up on my obvious fear, put his right hand on my heart and said, brother, I can only imagine how afraid you are. But please believe me when I tell you that you're going to a good place, you're going to the puff. Now, I was 48 years old and I'm thinking, Puff? Yeah. Like Puff the Magic Dragon. Right, like, exactly. Dear God, we're going to go smoke pot. Right. This is going to be great. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Let's all do this. Well, unfortunately, Puff is a psychiatric health facility. It's a psych ward, less than 16 beds, but not quite that great. But, that, and then even when I got there, the way this beautiful man of color took my vitals. Just in this, like I wasn't some other crazy
2: person. Yeah,
0: right. So it's, so my point in saying all that is I have been surrounded and continue to be by extraordinarily magnificent people. My family, my former beloved who, when I got recently engaged, she was the first person to say congratulations. Yeah. My, my sweetheart now, all these people. And so thank you for the acknowledgment. A great reason why I share my story is to honor these people Mm -hmm. and to let people know if they haven't had that level of support, it is possible. Yeah, It doesn't always happen, but I promise you it's possible. And then from this point on, you can surround yourself with people. Just like imagine the the people who have had financial devastation and they somehow, by God's grace, come into your presence, your angels. And just to think, you know, the stress associated with money, how when that side of the triangle is off... That wheel's not working. So you save just as many or more lives than I do because you take this stress away. Then in your words, like at the beginning, then you get to go take care of yourself. Thus, you enable and empower yourself to be more of service to other people.
2: It's the beautiful version of the vicious cycle. Right. Right. The vicious circle. Right. And so much of the concept of hope in our, one of our former businesses we used to refer to the fact that hope is not a strategy Mm. from an investment perspective. Absolutely. And not to make this a money conversation in the slightest, but there's so much in our world that is about buy and hold. And in financial simplicity, that just simply means when you buy an investment, you're going to hold it ad infinitum. You're going to hold it till forever, forever. That is a school of thought that is that is just very pervasive and been around for almost as long as your story about the study of the rat and
1: hope. Almost as old as Methuselah. Exactly, mm, right?
2: Nice one. 947 nice
1: tie years old there. Yeah. yeah. Who, Good and knowledge. Who, and who was she? The grandmother of Noah, I must say. Thank you very much.
2: Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> this concept of buy and hold investing, we used to refer to it as buy, hold, and hope. Mm. Because ultimately, in order for your strategy to work, you would have to hold it indefinitely, hoping that it works out okay. The context of how you, you position hope here as just you know a singular drop in the water and how it spreads and can have 240 times the strength of character to get somebody to be able to keep moving, I absolutely just am just so in love with the work that you're doing when when you sit down with somebody and you're using examples of of how just you know slowing things down one thing that we talk a lot about is this concept of slowing down to go faster very very simple analogy is you've got a car going around a track if the if there's wobble right if the wheels are not in balance you can't possibly go around the track faster so you have to you have to slow it down and figure out where that wobble is and I yeah, like the,
1: bi- the bicycle analogy, right? Yep. I mean, you get a ten-speed bike, and you're in first gear, pedaling as fast as you can. When you actually downshift mm-hmm. to third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, sixth gear, seventh gear, where you're actually slowing down the rate that you're pedaling, you find yourself you traveling faster. You will travel further. You will travel further and faster as I'm, you slow down.
0: I'm stealing that.
1: Oh, that please, is, please
0: do. That is, I'll give you credit. To so my the, brothers.
2: the slowing, the slowing down to go faster is is what your talk is all about is, you know, and the simplicity around engaging with people in your every day. So as I was driving here today, I made a big decision that I needed a second cup of coffee. I stopped in the parking lot and I looked over and there was an older gentleman in Matthew's Crown Vic. My old Crown Vic. Yeah, baby. And I was on the phone with was Matthew. Was he hit my
1: old Crown Vic? Like literally he <laughs> bought my old Crown Vic? I don't think so because I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. And
2: I just I happen to glance over and I I enjoy our Crown Vic story and I'm looking at this and I notice that he has pretty much got a flat tire in the back passenger the back tire. So I get out of the car and I decide to go over and engage with him, but I'm having this little tape running in my head like. Is he going to freak out? Does he think I'm going to stalker? her? Mm. I won't wear my mask so he doesn't think I'm a bank robber. I just had this little, you know, running shtick in my head. Me, 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 me. All about me. <laughs> well, he looks, he looks out the window and I just, I pointed to his tire and he opened the door and we ended up having this lovely conversation. He was so greatly appreciative of pointing out. He was an older gentleman. He had a handicap placard. I could just see him. Now, 20 minutes later, stuck on the side of the road in a very dangerous situation. He's got a flat tire. There's lots of traffic, right? I was just flash-forwarding on, God, this, this gentleman could have a real mess on his hands. He was so appreciative. I was admiring the car, and he, and he tells me this great story of how it's got 24,000 miles. It's a 1999. This whole little conversation happened because I, And I'm not puffing myself up here. I'm just trying to give a story as an example of how— how simple it can be in your everyday. how simple it can be to engage with another human being who you have no connection with, whether it it be something like that where you're pointing out a flat tire or just, I really like your shirt and just seeing where that goes. Mm -hmm. And if we're out of the practice of human connection due to circumstance or we're gripped by the monster, getting out of your head into someone else's heart is... The best medicine we have ever found, and you are such a wonderful validation of that in your, in your spirit of what you do, both with human beings and with animals,
0: that proves that. Mom, thank you. And, I, and
2: to, to circle back,
0: that we, you in this case, had no idea— maybe what was happening before no. that you encountered He this. was so, on the phone. Yeah, so I mean maybe it was maybe his mom's in the hospital. Yeah. Maybe maybe whatever it is and there's the best quote so Dr. Drew Ramsey is a psychiatrist and I use this in every talk, every interview. So these are Dr. Ramsey's words. Dr. Ramsey says, "Someone you see today is thinking about killing themselves. Your smile, your question, your love could save them." trust me, they told me it did. Wow. Your smile, recognition, your question, understanding, your love, expression, could save them. Trust me, they told me it did. And one of the things I added at the end of my TED Talk that I was blessed to do with my brother Matthew was, it's no accident to me that each of these three things that Dr. Ramsey's patient said to him on whatever day that saved their life, a smile, a question, and love, All three can be done sitting down.
1: I have a text message. This morning I was having coffee. Kind of like your story. I was sitting with some friends having coffee. Someone I haven't seen in a long time walked in. I got up, I walked over, she had, she looked like she wasn't so happy. Mm -hmm. And I just, I had this smile on my face. I walked over, I gave her a hug. Great to see you. And that was it. And she went and she got her coffee and sat down. So I sent her a text just a short time after coffee, such an awesome start to the day seeing you. Mm. This is what she responded. Same. Who doesn't love feeling seen and known when they walk in the door of a coffee shop? Your huge hug and smile welcome me like no other. Thank you for that. Here's to an easy day and an evening tonight that I'm showing up. I have lots of wonderful Christmas presents to give now. Amen. And I have no idea what was going on with her day. Right. Before that, I could sense that it wasn't the best start to the day, and I was excited to see this friend I haven't seen in a while.
0: Right. So Brene Brown defines connection, and this is so perfect that you see, it's almost like it was a setup. Brene Brown says this: I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they see, when they feel seen, heard, and valued. Yep. When they can give and receive without judgment. And when they derive strength and sustenance from the relationship,
1: that's it. That's awesome. I mean,
0: it's just yeah, and she's kind of a off because she's so freaking brilliant.
1: <laughs> well, bless her soul. And, and we all want to be a hero like Brene Brown, right? Yeah. I mean, you, and you and I have talked about this before. I've I had the experience when I was eighteen. Yeah, I was eighteen years old. My little cousin Jennifer at the time, who I just spent some time with on the East Coast. She's now all grown up and in, in her thirties. When she was a little girl, she slipped and fell in a pool Mm. at my high school graduation. And in all of my clothes, I dove in the pool and pulled her out. I'm a hero. I got that exciting, exhilarating feeling of what it feels like to jump in a pool, fully clothed, and save somebody. You've shared with me that most people will never get that experience. Most people will never have the experience of running into a burning building to pull people out. People won't have the chance to jump in a pool and save somebody or pull them back over a bridge as they're throwing themselves over. But yet, what most people don't realize is how they may save a life by simply sitting down and how just as we live our everyday lives, the opportunity to connect could make the difference in somebody's life between what they're going to do next, taking their life or not. Talk to me about that.
0: Well, I think it it goes back to to what my belief is, is because people don't kill themselves when they're hopeful. They don't. They never do. And I'm not a big fan of absolutes. So, because hope has to be activated, like empathy, like respect, and the activation is connection. So, if we go out and just connect with as many people as we can by remembering names— just, I have a friend as of mine. As simple as that. It is. Remembering a name. So then you, you, And then you, you remember their spouse and you remember their kids and you remember their dogs. Use your phone. Just, you know, you keep a book on people that are important to you. Not because you want to stalk them, but just because I, I want to be connected. Because mm-hmm. me connecting with you, there's going to be a day I need that. And then there could be a time that just like pointing to this soul says, brother, you got a flat tire. And, you know, just want to help. Like, how did you
2: feel? Oh, he was very appreciative, and I was like, "Oh, thank, God. glad you got all your little roadblocks out of the way to go up to him and say something." And no, how no, did you what? feel about yourself? No, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, I felt good about it because I probably changed the rest of his day. Absolutely,
1: and it left you feeling useful. It left you feeling like yes, you have purpose. Look at me. Look what I just did. I just helped somebody.
0: Get out of your head and get into your heart. Exactly. Get into another part. You get into our heart is good too. And it's interesting. I want to go back to this aspect of self-care. So my belief is all roads of self-care lead to hope. Because so we think, okay, I'm going to do connection. I'm going to save a soul in the midst of crisis. True. But how do you maintain hope? Well, you maintain hope by taking care of yourself. Because all roads of self-care, body, mind, and spirit lead to hope. And think, well, no, i got to put other people first. Well, okay, possibly. But have you ever considered if you really look at the golden rule – to love thy neighbor as thy self. self. So, in other words, interesting. I think what happens is, you know, we look at it understandably so, like okay, we we gotta we gotta take care of other people. But like, wait, it's actually an admonition to put ourselves first, mm-hmm. not because it's selfish, because it's it's selfless. I cannot give from an empty cup. So, for me to truly be the greatest human being, and and I get the benefit. Like I remember your name. I ask a question. The other part is expression and. A handwritten note is just like...
1: The best. The, <laughs> bon- the bougie. best. That's like, that's like your drug of choice. Now we're, now oh, like, now we're in my you're neighborhood. Just, you're just mainlining into Jim's arteries right, right now.
2: So It my, is the greatest lost art. It is. Of, Hence, back to what you're saying. Of all
0: time. Connection is, is an art form. It really is. So my brother, big brother John, two-star general, the master of the handwritten note. And my brother is very humble. He has this thing called command presence, just like... You walk into the room, you think, okay, there's something about this dude. But so on every general officer, they call them flag officers because no matter what the branch, they literally have a flag behind their desk. If they're a one star, there's a one star on this red background. So he has stationery, and on it has a picture of a of a flag, and there's two stars. So my brother goes around looking for ways to acknowledge other people, and the tenet of his notes, as he's taught me, it's it's TSA. So, we think about the souls who protect us at the airport. If you look at the three tenets of, of an effective communication, they protect us from being disconnected or that it's just this throwaway thing. So, it's timely, specific, and authentic. And my brother writes these TSA, notes timely, TSA, timely, specific, specific and authentic. authentic. So, he writes these notes, and my brother's very emphatic about this. He says, David, it, it's not enough just to write the note. You need to, to, to write the note, find the person's address put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send it. He's just, he just he says, because it takes time. And when people realize that you, that you have given them the gift of their time, they recognize it. So my brother just, in the return address, it's just very modest. It just says J.R. Bartley. So I know, he as you he shared this, because, again, he's more like my dad, on what the response to these notes are. So y- you know what happens? to so they go to the mailbox on a particular day, maybe a day that they really need it. There's that uniquely sized envelope has this handwriting, and in the return address it says J.R. Bartley. Like, okay, the only J.R. Bartley I know would be Major General John R. Bartley. And they open it up, and it's just – and my brother has shared with me responses. And the one when I teach management classes, I say, okay, here's a response that my brother got to one of his notes. Sir, no amount of monetary award or other form of recognition compares in value to your handwritten note. And another officer said, sir, when you send these notes, it has an impact – the likes of which I've never seen. So I think, okay, that's it. Fast done. Go out and write notes. There's a great story about Daniel Conant, who was the CEO of Campbell's Soup. And in a 10-year period, do you know how many handwritten notes he wrote?
2: I think I'm going to have a new challenge.
0: 20,000. Yeah. And he had a two-hour commute. And so what he do is to the staff, tell me the good things. And so you think on the one hand, oh, yeah, well, it just got to be commonplace. No, it didn't. Because then everybody's like, when do I get my note? and you look at what the, let's go back to to data like the the financial change in Campbell soup in that 10 years there was no mass resignation or great resignation no like people like i want a job there i want to be noticed yeah. like here's the big man he knows who i am
1: it, oh it, david there there are stories all across corporate america of these leaders that adapt these these kind of servant leader mentalities that you hear about, you know, handwritten thank you notes where where they develop these reputations of just putting putting their people before themselves, putting the interests of people before themselves and how people want to work for these companies. I mean, when I look at the individual stocks I'm interested in owning one day, it's always through the lens of leadership and corporate culture that believes in putting, you know, th- this idea of service Right? Putting, putting others, being part of something much bigger than myself and putting others' needs at the forefront of what's important to me. With the secret being, there's an incredible amount of self care that goes into doing that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And the great Richard Branson treat your employees so they'll want to stay, train them so they can leave. There it is. It, it's paradoxical. No, 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 no. I want to keep them. So it is. I just get so excited because who doesn't want to experience hope? Right. You know, and it is, I, I think, you know, the great. Robert Cromwell, who wrote Acres of Diamonds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guy is out looking for riches and everything else and, and, and has this stream in front of his house and he wants to go find these diamonds and he ends up selling the home and he goes around the world, and never finds them. Well, the person who, who buys the property, the diamonds are right there.
2: Mm-hmm. Like I Us- think- Usually the case.
0: Exactly. So I think, and General Eifler, when I talked to him yesterday and, and, and my brother- and there, there's another general, Major General Beagle, who is the, the great commander of the, 10th, the, the legendary 10th Mountain Division. And these, these men are amazing. They see now that here's the answer. Army's doing great stuff, but we need to augment that to do something that everybody can do. So we can train every soldier to have this piece of equipment. You know, we can use this in the Army vernacular. We can use it as a weapon because— People never kill themselves because of despair or whatever the reason. They never kill themselves when they're hopeful. Hope is the answer.
1: You've shared a lot with us today. And you've given us some um, some great stories and some depth on on how hope is the answer to hopelessness. From just something as simple as remembering somebody's name, a handwritten thank you note. I love the actionable component to what you're sharing. Mm, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do is give our community of financial sobriety listeners just different actionable ideas of how they can go out in the world and strengthen these three very complicated relationships that we all have. And like every guest we've had, sit in this seat It all starts with this idea of taking care of yourself, of believing you are worthy of being your most valuable investment, the best investment you can ever make. And what does that look like from a standpoint of being super intentional with the financial resources that you have to be able to support yourself in this need for self-care so that you can ultimately go out into the world and give to others what it is they really want? I mean, it's cliche, but the most valuable gift you can give somebody, whether it's the holiday season, their birthday, Valentine's Day, what, whatever it is you're giving a gift for, the most valuable gift you can give is your presence. Exactly. Not, exactly. not a present. No. Right?
0: And in, in, and in the paradigm of, of the great world that, thank God you are doing what you're doing, you know the, the where people get confused, and I think it goes back to the golden rule, you can't get poor enough to help people, which doesn't mean you can't empathize with a difficult situation, but... Brother, to your point, that you are taking the time, you are grateful to have the resources to take care of yourself, but knowing you, as you move up that ladder of feeling better, it's just going to allow you to serve more people. Absolutely. It's the complete, it is the most selfless thing that you can do.
1: You have to build a bigger engine if you want to go out and run more miles. If you want to go out, you and I have always said this podcast gives us the platform to go out and have a bigger impact than we're ever able to have, even when we get to that point of maximum capacity in our private wealth management practice, right? We, we get to serve a couple of hundred families incredibly well. We're there for them. We're present for them. We want to be able to have even bigger an impact, impact in the world. <clears throat> Absolutely. And we have to take care of ourselves to be able to run the miles of what it takes to do that. You are doing that beautifully. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you.
0: And, and, and actually, the point, it goes back to that whole thing. You said sometimes you have to slow down to go fast. My yes. beloved will say, honey, you know what? I need you to take this day off. No, honey, you're going to be more productive, for God's sakes, if you take Take a, nap, a day off. Or take a nap. Yeah. You know? And it, it's counterintuitive, This yes. this whole thing. Your actions are a great example of that.
2: How does our audience follow up with you? How do they learn more about what you're doing? How do they hire you to speak to their group? Thanks. So I know my cell phone number will be
0: published. Please call me. If you are some, somebody who's who's fighting the monster, I, I would love to talk to you. And, and I'm not going to give you advice. I, I, I just want to give support. I want to share with you and connect with you as somebody who –
1: who can relate? So anybody who might be struggling themselves or anybody who has people around them that are struggling, just how do I connect with those people? Exactly. You're available to help.
0: Yeah. So I know that you're going to share. Share. So uh, 916-247-6389. Email address, David at David Woods Bartley. And I would love to come and
1: speak to your organization. David Woods Bartley at? David, David at David Woods, plural, Bartley, B-A-R-T-L-E-Y. T-Y. Exactly. Dot com. Thank exactly. God Ace is putting all this in the show notes so we don't have to memorize this. Where's Where's your website? What's your website? So
0: DavidWoodsBartley.com awesome. is where it is. And I would love to come share my story with your organization, teach some techniques. I have a class called I Don't Know What to Say, Learning the Language of Mental Health, a class called The Why of Suicide and the How of Hope, a leadership class called If You Connect. They will follow. I would love to be of service. My, my job is, is to give back. My life was saved. My job is to give back.
1: David Woods Bartley, mental health advocate, shining light on the issues of mental illness and opening doors to the possibility of mental health. Brother, I love you. I am grateful for you. Thank you for being here in studio with us and sharing some hope.
0: And I love you all and thank you so much.
1: You opened the show
2: with judgment. Right. In terms of not feeling unconditionally loved because people were making judgments or having expectations of you. Right. And the gratitude that I have for those um, who have. Imagine imagine what it feels like to be struggling and either not feeling like yourself, not fitting in, not knowing what to do. And yet you've got to be as vulnerable as perhaps anyone's ever been to express that I need help. I mean, we've had a mental health crisis in this country that's been brewing for decades. Yeah, We used to institutionalize people and put them away so we didn't have to be around them. Thank God we don't do that anymore. I I sure hope we don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's just really been in the last few years. I mean, I, I keep thinking of the bravery that it took for Simone Biles in the Olympics to stand down and not compete as the top gymnast in the world, let alone for the United States. Sure. And have the courage to say, I'm not up to it. I'm, I'm struggling emotionally and how we can't forget, you know, Michael Phelps and what he's come out in terms of his conversations around depression. I mean, these are, these are people that, you know, Joe average, like you and me can look up to and go, wow, if they did that, this concept of self-care, we're just not hardwired for it. No. We're not, we're not hardwired to realize that we need time off. We need time away. We need time to rest and and recover and exercise and not just work on the body in terms of exercise and nutrition, but also the mind and the spirit in terms of, how are we feeling? I mean, the level of sadness that I carry around with me today, I share this openly on the show because people that know me know I'm not a sad guy. Yeah. But I am so incredibly sad with all that the planet's trying to deal with. And my own self-care could stand some work. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, I'm, you- doing a, I'm doing a great job physically. I'm doing a great job nutritionally with exercise. But in terms of my mind and my spirit, I could stand a a couple huge servings of hope. Yeah. And the only way I'm going to get it is if I keep connecting with people, whether it's through the show, whether it's through our clients, whether it's through my family, whether it's through my community, but connection, connection, connection. That is the that's pretty much what I start my day with is how
1: How and who can I connect with today? So doing the opposite of what feeling sad wants you to do. You're living somewhat of a paradox where you're starting each day with almost setting like a little intention. Where It
2: is is absolutely an intention. Put put somebody in my path, right? I certainly don't do it every day, but I do it most days where put someone in my path that I can connect with today and be helpful and with. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, I mean, it can be the simplest little thing as, you know, going into Starbucks to get a coffee and holding the door open for two or three people, looking them in the eye and saying, good morning. How are you today? Sure. Just something to establish human connection throughout your day. Right. Cause their faces in a phone and they're 400 miles an hour coming out of the place. Cause they're rushing off to whatever. And so it, it, the reaction sometimes is pretty funny. They're, oh, oh, oh! Hi, hi! How are you today? Yeah. I mean, just you know, it it catches them. And David's helped me with that. Yeah, David, David. I mean, I have always had a passion for handwritten notes, and he talks about it. He talks about the in some of his videos that I've watched that that was something that helped pull him out of another wave of of gripping depression was this you know, beautiful handwritten note that he got from a young gal that has turned into almost like a daughter to him. Hmm. And whether it's a handwritten note, whether it's a simple text, whether it's a phone call, take some action. And I'm not saying you, I'm saying this to our audience. Take, sure. take some action in terms of maybe you got an old neighbor that you haven't seen in a while, go check in on them. Maybe you've got a uh, an old relative or an old college buddy or an old high school buddy that you've been thinking about a lot lately. Call him or her or text him or, or, or just find an instant message him on one of the social media platforms.
1: How often during the day does a person in your life pop into mind? Uh, roughly about. I mean, would you say multiple times throughout the day you think of somebody, a friend, yeah, a family member, an old college friend? Probably six to six to ten times a day. Okay. Yeah. that So with that right there, that so that's my trigger. That's what I've been doing to keep myself out of my own head is as I'm thinking about people, I'm reaching out. If somebody pops into my head and I'm not specifically in a task or something I need to be doing and I'm just in thought, I've been reaching out to people immediately. Whether it's a text message, a call, as people pop into my head, ooh, I haven't talked to mom yet today. I just give her a call. I was thinking about an old college friend I hadn't seen in a long long time and we we had stayed in touch for a long time and just haven't been in touch lately. I was thinking about him yesterday. I sent him a text message and we yeah. got into a nice little text exchange. It was it was really nice just reaching out to somebody I hadn't seen in a while and just checking in, "Hey, I was thinking about you today. How are you?" And meaning it. I meant it. I wanted to know how are you?
2: That's what we need a lot more of. That's not going to solve the litany of problems that we have. Yeah. But it is going to create more hope. Absolutely. that is what this show here in Mental Health Awareness
1: Month is all about. Well, what a a great way to wrap up the month. Yeah. Having the conversation with David Woods Bartley here in studio. And what I want to do is I want to keep this conversation going. I, I think there's a lot more after David's conversation of unpacking and looking specifically at what's happening in your life, what's happening in my life, how we're applying the principles of financial sobriety, realizing that there's all this darkness in the world, all this heaviness in the world right now, how is that all affecting our relationship with our people? How is that all affecting our relationship with self? I know I'm not taking as good a care of myself as I should be, and I'm becoming aware of that. And then ultimately, how does this affect our relationship with money? How are we using our money as a result of all the heaviness and darkness in the world? Are we being less intentional than we were perhaps a year ago or two years ago? That's the kind of stuff I want to get into in the next couple of episodes. And I'm excited. We're going to have some more guests coming in studio to help us unpack this conversation. And I know we were getting on the topic of risk and getting really deep in the conversation with risk. Guess what? This is part of the risk conversation. 100%. Health risk, mental health risk, emotional health risk, and the risk that can have on our money, on our relationship with people, and our relationship with ourselves. We got lots more to talk about. I'm excited. With that, brother, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt
3: to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.